0: and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. On Twitter. On Twitter. Welcome to On the Birds. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And we are back the night of the MLB trade deadline, just a few hours past the 6 p.m. deadline, to react to the big news of the day, which is the Orioles dealing closer Jorge Lopez to the Minnesota Twins for a package of four prospects, pitchers that are headlined by left-hander Cade Pilbich. We're also going to get into the acquisition of Brett Phillips from the Tampa Bay Rays, what that might mean and what it probably doesn't mean, as well as the players who weren't moved as the deadline that, frankly, may not have been as active as some people were expecting. So we're going to get to that. But first, we'll dive right in with the big story of the day, which is the Jorge Lopez trade. Lopez, the Orioles' lone all-star this season, was sent to the Minnesota Twins in exchange for four pitchers, including Cade Pilbits as well as reliever reliever Yenier Cano and pitchers Juan Nunez and Juan Rojas. In terms of experience, these guys kind of run the gamut. Nunez and Rojas are both pitching in short season ball right now while Cano made his major league debut for the Twins back in May. Povitz had pitched at high A Cedar Rapids and been very effective to this point in the season, and he really is the headliner in the deal. Currently, MLB Pipeline ranks him 26th in the Orioles' farm system, Fangraphs has him right around there, and that ranking is a little bit more accurate because Fangraphs has players that were drafted by the Orioles in the 2022 draft class, unlike MLB Pipelines list. So something to keep in mind as you go through post-deadline prospect lists. Now, with Povitz, it's kind of an interesting formula he has shown so far. A third-rounder out of the University of Nebraska. Big strikeout numbers this season for Cedar Rapids. 107 batters fan in 78 and two thirds innings pitched he's the headliner in this deal so it's kind of going to start here but bob uh, just kind of fill us in with your thoughts on povitz and then what this trade as a whole uh says to you
1: i know it's not a very popular trade amongst Orioles fans at the moment but i'm actually okay with it more than okay with it i kind of like it but um Kade Povich, yeah, I think he's probably at least based on what we can know right now. I mean, the two FCL guys, I'd love to learn more about. They might be the real targets, uh, headliners of this deal in the long run, just like Gene Pinto and the Jose Iglesias trade. But um, yeah, Pavit, uh Povich, excuse me, Kade Povich, I, I like him a lot. I, I, I'm surprised he's all the way down 26th on the pipeline ranking. Uh, I'd like to see what happens when they completely update their list in mid August. I think I saw. Jim Callis say they were going to do but to me he's like in the mid-teens right around where Drew Rahm is I would compare him favorably to Drew Rahm he has a little more velocity seems like his breaking balls, slider curveball are distinct and good enough to even be better than Rahm's the changeup, the Orioles can work on that and then he's got a four-pitch mix so I don't know exactly where I'd put him but I like him better than Chase McDermott who we got yesterday who I also liked a lot I think McDermott probably has a little more reliever risk but Povich, I'm a fan and uh, a lefty that throws super hard. You can never have enough of those. And yeah, we got more than that too. So I like the trade.
2: Yeah, I, mean, I have general thoughts about the trade, but just looking at Cade Povich there, I mean, he's having a really good season over there in high in the twins organization. He's only 22 as well. So he's still about a year younger than the competition. And actually more than looking up at some of his splits earlier today, more than two thirds of his season has come against older competition and the older hitters, he's facing. He's pitching much better against that older competition. They're only hitting 216 against him with a 644 OPS on baseball reference. So uh, he's got more than 12 strikeouts per game, sub three walks per game. The XFIP is more than a full run lower than his 4.46 ERA. So you dig into the numbers a little bit, there's a lot to like. And just the pitch mix alone, I mean, he's got four pitches, the slider and curveball were beautiful pitches. Uh, ben Palmer, uh, former uh, co-host of the show uh one-time co-host of the show uh he instantly put out uh, the highlights of those two pitches beautiful pitches um you know fastball runs up to 94 96 but i noticed on baseball america that report said yeah the, the 94 96 is a velo bump for him he wasn't he was a soft tossing lefty coming out of college uh, and he can come out 94 96 but he typically sits around 91 93 so you know, maybe you, the Orioles put him on a velo program, which we know has been successful with a number of players in the past. And you continue to develop that feel for that pitch mix. And, you know, you, you go from this soft tossing lefty, who is now firing 95, 96 miles an hour with two good breaking balls and striking out more than a hundred guys and in, you know, 78 innings, you're going to move up the prospect rankings and the MLB pipeline one. I, I, okay. But I've seen some more like twins centric uh, prospect rankings and guys who are, are much, you know, tuned into the twin system and I've seen him as high as ninth on twins list. So I think that speaks volumes there. And I think of Steve Molesky as well, who had was saying that the twins were apparently getting a lot of calls about Povich at the deadline. So this is a highly coveted guy by a couple of teams.
1: Yeah. I actually saw him as high as seventh on one of the Twitter lists, uh, just like a blogger, I guess. But I mean, Hey, these are people that know just like us. We know more about probably, Orioles prospects in general than the mass than those people probably do too. So I mean that's good, and uh, we'll see how he does. I I saw he's going to start out with Aberdeen, and wouldn't be surprised if he was fairly quickly promoted to Billy.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't either, and I think you probably bring him into Aberdeen just to kind of ease him, and I imagine that's going to be the case with McDermott too. But McDermott has clearer things that he needs to work on than Pobitz does. With McDermott, it's you know pulling him out of that environment in Asheville to a ballpark that's much more neutral and, in fact, probably tilts pitcher-friendly at Aberdeen and trying to get his walks down. Whereas Povitz, there's nothing really in that stat line at Cedar Rapids that I look at and say, "Yo, wow, this guy really needs to work on this. He's been pretty solid across the board for them, and I think the Velo spike is important because too often when Orioles' prospects that are left-handed and aren't named D.L. Hall are compared to each other, they're basically – lumped into one basket, which could not be further from the truth. I've been saying this about Drew Rahm for years. Povitz, to me, is similar in some ways to Drew Rahm, but not entirely the same. Rom has had a little bit better command in high A than Povitz has shown, but Povitz is not exactly walking every batter he's facing there. And Povitz's fastball, you know, even if he's not hitting 95, 96 consistently – the fact that he's touching that in games does matter, especially when you have the slider and the curveball that he has that have such a bite to them. I was watching clips of them today, and both of them are just really impressive pitches. Um, so even if he lives off the fast or the curveball and the slider and he's got a fastball that usually is low to mid-90s but can bump it up to 95, 96, that's pretty good. And then if you could throw in a changeup – I think that the Orioles might have a really good starting pitcher on their hands. And I know that there were some projections coming into this year that suggested that Povitz might have the ceilings of number four and number five guy. But, you know, even Fangraphs, which kind of put that in their report, acknowledged he had this 10 professional innings coming into this year. So there was a ch- chance there for some development.
2: Yeah. I kind of imagine like, he is now what a lot of people I think wanted drew Rom to be at this point. And drew Rom is a guy who I feel like you either like him or you just don't. Um, I mean, I do, but I, I get why a lot of people, as he's moved up the rankings, I think maybe the strikeouts haven't been as high. You know, he doesn't have the big breaking curveball, ball. Uh, and as I think Povich does, I mean, he has those secondary pitches that are going to really wow you and throw hitters off balance. And And I would kind of, we got a lot to process when thinking about our uh, updated top 50 list uh, on Monday, which is ridiculous. And I don't even want to think about it right now, but um, you know, I'm kind of looking at like you know, Povich. I'm putting probably ahead of rum in our rankings and I'm probably sliding him somewhere around 20th is what I was thinking. And I think Fangraphs has him 19th on their list. Uh, MLB pipeline. Like you mentioned, he's 26 right now. I'd imagine he probably moves up a little bit because this is a guy who is on the rise this year. We've, when they get updated reports, I'm sure he's someone that's gonna move up their list as well. And he's still got a higher ceiling. And like you mentioned, he's he's kinda still didn't have a whole lot of innings under his belt. So I think this is this is a good project. And a lot of these guys going to Aberdeen. I think this is good as well. If, you know, it'll be interesting to see do they get the bump up to Bowie first, or you know, does Drew Rom get the move get to move up to uh, Norfolk? Well, you got guys, rephrase that, you've got guys like Drew Rahm and some others ready to move up to Norfolk you got a couple guys in Aberdeen who could get moved up, but I think McDermott, Povich, these guys are going to probably be more ready to move up to Aberdeen. And you really got nobody to move up from Delmarva to Aberdeen. So uh, if anything, a lot of these trades have also helped kind of fill in that void that I think is going to be there with the rotations.
1: Yeah. And like we've seen this, this team knows how to develop pitchers. I think it's, it's safe to say that now based on even at the major league level, what they've done with the bullpen with waiver claims and career minor leaguers, I mean, that's all the bullpen is, and it's one of the best bullpens in baseball. I think Chris Holton Company, Justin Ramsey, former guest, uh, they know how to get the most out of these guys, and look, they're getting targeting guys with just excellent stuff and feeling like they can work them into a good pitcher as well, and especially these FCL guys. I mean, the numbers are ridiculous. I'm sure we'll get to it, but yeah, I think i keep wanting to say pavich it's povich a cade povich he uh he's got all the ingredients that i think this this development system can work wonders with and for the record i do like drew rom uh it is up in the air whether i would put povich or uh rom higher but we'll see on monday
0: i, I like rom a lot too and i i think most of our listeners know that but i'll just add that in for effect all three of us are drew rom fans mm-hmm. um so I do want to move on now to Yeni Cano. He's the only player in this trade that has major league experience. He has thrown 13 and two-thirds innings for the Twins this year, and the results have not been great. 11 walks in that span, ERA of 9.22, inflated by some outings that, are, frankly, were really bad. But this is a guy that does have some interesting things that he brings to the table. He throws – Mid to upper 90s with an arm angle that is unconventional for that. It's more of a down arm angle. Reports of a good splitter are there. Uh, it just has not quite put it together at the major league level yet. However, at A St. Paul this season, he was very effective. 23 and two-thirds innings with 25 strikeouts against just six walks and a 1-9-0 ERA. And with that, we saw a significant cutback in walks from where he had been the year before when he walked 34 batters and 69 two-thirds innings between AA Wichita and St. Paul. So the walks in the past have been an issue with Cano in the minor leagues. They weren't at St. Paul this year. He has struggled in the major leagues. And in fact, he's not in the Orioles bullpen right now. He was assigned in Norfolk. I think that the fact that the Orioles can get a major league reliever, albeit one that's struggling, in return for Lopez and not have to put him in the major league bullpen right away says a lot about the quality of relievers that are still with the Orioles guys like CNL Perez, Felix Bautista, Dylan Tate. Um, But Cano, you know, there's going to be, need to be some work here, but interesting profile. And while he is 28 years old, he was just signed out of Cuba back in 2019 by the twins. And keep in mind that with the 2020 season, lost a lot of experience, just 15 innings. In the twin system before the 2020 campaign was canceled.
2: Yeah, I mean, this guy is how what's he 28 years old? Is that right? That doesn't he. he's 28. I've seen him listed a couple of reports. He's listed six feet, like they still have his uh DSL report. Uh, but I mean he's six four, I think one eighty-five is kind of light as well. I'm looking at this listing here, but so he's not really a prospect by any means, but he has that MLB experience. And it, it was great. The minor league numbers have been really, really good. And I think it's good that they're going to go ahead and put him in Norfolk with Justin Ramsey, let them let him work there for a little bit and then maybe try to bring him up later in the season. He does have multiple options left. So this is a guy who's probably going to bounce up and down the rest of the way through the season. Uh, And even probably next season, if he's still around, this is going to be a guy who's a a Norfolk shuttle candidate, but I mean, he's got one thing going for him really well is the changeup is beautiful, like a legitimate, beautiful pitch. Again, Ben Palmer was all over that. uh, As soon as the trade happened, and noted that small sample size up in the majors, which as Zach mentioned, the overall numbers have not been good, but that changeup has got a 44.6% chase rate and a 15.2 swinging strike rate. So you know, there's not a big velo difference with the pitch, but it's got well above average movement and fade on that pitch. So I think you look at the ground ball numbers, they're huge as well, 60 to 70% at his stops uh, in the minor leagues. So I don't know. I think... I got many Felix Batista vibes. I'm not saying they're like talent-wise he's going to be that at all, but I'm just saying like the size, the way he throws, the pitch selection. And if you can fix that control, you've got a good relief option here. Maybe not a high leverage back into the bullpen guy, but you've got a a good low leverage seventh inning guy who's going to be a contributor for the team. Yeah, I am
1: really intrigued by this guy. I mean, if you look at his – his A numbers this year, they're way better at ERA under two 25 strikeouts to only six walks. So clearly he's able to, I mean, he's had higher walk turtles in the past. I mean, A is kind of an outlier this year, but clearly he's capable of not walking too many guys. And actually, I feel like that's the one thing that this has been improved with our bullpen pieces is control, control, control. Aiken, all of a sudden he can throw strikes more often than not. Well, that seems to be the big strength of this organization when it comes to pitching development, at least in the bullpen. Um, I think they're basically just saying, uh, let it rip and throw it in the strike zone and see what happens. And I think this is a guy that could definitely be a candidate for, you know, benefiting from that. And he's got six years of control after this year. He could easily be, I mean, he's 28 years old, obviously coming out of Cuba. So, you know, not a ton of upside, but Felix Bautista was 26 at the beginning of this year. When If guys have good stuff, it doesn't matter when they unlock that command or control. If they do, it's it's going to mean good things. And he could easily be next year's, I don't know, Dylan Tate in the seventh, eighth inning while Felix is closing it out and CNL Perez is banging out. Lefty's striking him out, one, two, three. I don't know. You can dream a little bit on a guy for who's just a bullpen arm. That's what I'm trying to say.
0: I mean, I would say even if he becomes next year's Joey Crable, it's a win.
2: Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, even just another Nick Vespi, Like, honestly, a guy who's going to bounce around. Like, I think that's something. This isn't the main piece here. You mentioned Povich. Uh, I get why one of the FCL guys, you might think that could be uh, one of the bigger targets of this trade piece. But Povich is certainly a, a possible rotation candidate if you can keep improving him. He's on the right track right now, at least. But this is kind of an extra piecer where if you can get something out of him, then it, it only increases the value of this trade.
1: Yeah, and if, like, I am suspicious of, I think the FCL guys might have been the true targets, and this is a guy that gets thrown in as a fourth piece, and in two or three years, he's improved enough where you can flip him at a deadline to get some more prospects. I think that's not too bad.
0: I'll go to one of the FCL guys now, and that is Juan Rojas, an 18-year-old left-hander who has been excellent for the Twins this season. 30 innings pits. He has struck out 38 batters while walking just four and delivering a 3.60 ERA. He made his professional debut in the DSL last year and was equally good um, in some respects. 49 strikeouts in 40 innings of work. Walks have come down since last year. He walked 14 batters in 40 innings last year. Um, so, we don't know a ton about Rojas yet, and whenever you're looking at a pitcher who is in short season ball, 18 years old, fairly recent signing in the international market, he was signed out of Venezuela, you're looking at a player that is really raw, could be four or five years away from making an impact. But there's you know, some interesting intangibles here that I think have me intrigued.
2: Yeah, like you said, obviously we haven't watched these guys, but you know, Baseball America ha- did have a good report out today right after the deal. And Rojas, they noted four pitches and said he has starter traits and the control well advanced for his age. And so, I only being 18 years old, I, I like that. I like the fact that even though there's limited info on these young guys, that most of what you can find out there right now. Is, it's all about their control. And I feel like that's something that's missing with a lot of the pitchers that are in the FCL right now and in Delmarva right now, especially the bullpen pieces. You see a lot of walks uh, in those FCL box scores. Watching Delmarva, there are some nights where the walks pile up. Uh, and I think Rojas and Nunez, the other piece here, are both pretty much bound for Delmarva in a, within the next couple of weeks uh, because they've got so many FCL innings under their belt already but you mentioned that the strikeout to walk numbers that's uh, i say this all the time that's the first thing i look at and if you've got 38 strikeouts to just four walks and 30 innings like that's absurd put him in delmarva and let's start seeing what we got here yeah i think davy
1: cruz who's shooting up our prospect ranks uh might have some competition for best lefty in delmarva in a few weeks uh, this guy looks like he could be a serious stud i'd love to get um Kobe Perez back on the podcast at some point and asking about these guys because I mean, these both of these pitchers pitched against the Orioles FCL team this year, so clearly they have good looks on these people players, and uh, they know what they have more than we do. Right now, it's just like exciting numbers on a page in a, a name and a young age. Um, Juan Rojas is three years younger than the competition in the FCL. 21 might seem old for Juan Nunez, and it is a, a tad bit old, For the level, but he's actually, according to baseball reference, like exactly the average age in the FCL. So um, I think he don't sleep on him either.
0: Just to build off the comment about Nunez with his age, this is another area where the pandemic lost season comes back into play. Nunez was signed by the twins in November of 2019, but did not make his debut until July of 2021. So, wasn't signed until after the 2019 season had ended. Then obviously didn't pitch in 2020. Then 2021 was assigned to the Dominican Summer League before joining the FCL this summer. So despite his age, you're not looking at a ton of professional experience, just 76 innings over the last two short seasons since he signed in pro ball in 2019.
2: Yeah, but you know with... I was going to mention the age thing, that exact point there. I don't, I don't care about the age. I saw a tweet from a, a Twins reporter who was saying that the Twins internally actually really liked Nunez, but they figured they would go ahead and take that risk with him because of the age. But like you mentioned, he he signed in 2019, so he didn't get to play in 2020. But he's got almost two seasons under his belt now in rookie ball. And again, 109 strikeouts, just 25 walks. And he brings the velo. Baseball America noted he's got the mid-90s fastball slider change up Rojas doesn't have the velo yet he's only like 89 to 91 I think is what I saw but he's an 18 year old lefty you, you can get more of him down the road but Nunez is the guy who I mean I wouldn't be shocked if he's in Delmarva next week put him in that Delmarva uh bullpen or you know, they like to go three inning starts with guys still but put him in that three inning role and let's see what he's got
1: yeah and what was I about to say with Nunez he has a 4.85 in the FCL, but his FIPS 2.82 is xFIPs 2.86. So what's his BABIP against? It's 362, yeah. So with all those strikeouts, not a ton of walks for that many strikeouts and some better numbers expected than actualized. Uh, yeah, I think he's another guy that, like you said, could be in Delmarva even before the FCL season ends. And the way Delmarva's bullpen is right now, I think they could use all the help they can get.
0: And we will talk about Jorge Lopez for a minute, because this is a player that has had quite a journey with the Orioles and I think endeared himself to fans in multiple levels. Wave reclaimed back in 2020, uh, struggled for most of 2021 as a starter, moved to the bullpen this year. And I know for myself personally, I had expectations of him being a good reliever, but I didn't see all-star closer out of the gate. So a ton of credit to Jorge Lopez everything that he's been through personally with the health of his son uh, to professionally come battling back the way he did hats off to him. And what's in the best of the twins?
2: Yeah. I mean, like I wish him all the best as well. I was never a fan of his when he came over to the organization, like seeing that he was a waiver claim, who you hoped were going to give you some innings, right? And I think he did that in the beginning. He did give you innings, but we knew like clockwork when he was going to melt down when he was starting. Uh, And it seemed like every podcast, every blog, every fan on social media, we begged every single day that we watched Lopez pitch, put him in the bullpen and let's see what he can do. And this was like a rare occasion though, where it actually worked and it's pretty awesome. But I remember over the winter, last season, whenever the, the deadline was. But I remember talking about Jorge Lopez on an episode and pulling up his game log, baseball savant game log against the Angels, I think it was the first time. He pitched two innings out of the bullpen against the Angels in a game last year. And that was the first time where he was like in that bullpen role and the Velo was up. You saw so many metrics improved significantly in that short outing. And I was like, that's that's why. That's why you need to move him to the bullpen. That's It's a two-inning sample size, but that's an example of what he can do. But why were we talking about Jorge Lopez in that episode? Because we were saying he's going to be uh, uh, not tendered a contract. I mean, that's how many people would have been upset if he would have been non-tendered last year. Like three people, that's it. Uh, So I think that is credit to him and the work he's put in, and that's credit to the Orioles staff and the work that they put in. But, you know, the track record was just so minimal with him. And I think the bigger returns that we saw from other organizations, other relievers get you weren't going to get that for Jorge Lopez. Right? So, I mean, I did become a Jorge Lopez fan. I wish his son and his family all the best. I think that's, that's a beautiful story. Uh, but, you know, I don't mind letting go of him right now instead of holding on to him too long. And then next year, he's got an ERA of five and he's struggling to hold a roster spot. I'm fine.
1: Jorge. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I actually heard from someone that they were surprised that Lopez was traded because he had heard that you know, he's good in the clubhouse and and they wanted to keep him around unless they were blown away. And I've also heard people say that they are fine with trading Jorge Lopez, but not for this lackluster return. So something doesn't add up there, which is what leads me to believe that one of these guys, the Orioles just absolutely love uh, that they got back because I think they were only planning to trade him if they got an offer that they loved. And evidently they love this offer. So yeah, uh, Lopez, like you said, I mean, we were talking about he's probably going to be non-tendered over a million dollar contract. And now here he comes and he's one of the best relief options on the trade market. Four months later, his July era was four and a half close to five. So who knows if he can keep this up? This is like the first three, four months of success he's ever had at the major league level. He's approaching 30 years old. It's, it's risky to hang on to him. Look, we held on to Paul Fry and Tanner Scott and look how that went. So maybe they got a little antsy. They don't want to hold on too long if they don't believe he could be quite this good in the long run. I do think he'll still be a good reliever, and I think he'll help the Twins bullpound out exponentially. I mean, he's got great stuff, hard 90s, a high 90s sinker with four pitches he could throw in there. So I'm rooting for him. Hope he pitches well the rest of the way. But I, I just think if you can get four more arms, look, this trade deadline, we got rid of a guy. Who had two months left before he was a free agent, and you get nothing for him, and a guy who was a waiver claim that could turn back into the pitcher he was his the rest of his career at any moment for six new arms in a system that people complain doesn't have enough arms. So, I mean, I don't know. You take what
2: one or the other. I guess I don't know. Like the bullpen still has Dylan Tate. You still have Felix Batista. You still have a lot of pieces that are having impressive seasons. And there are options in AAA who can step up, uh, we think can be contributors right now. Hopefully this means Nick Vespi can stay permanently. It, we know that Elias likes to that waiver wire. Rosters are being shuffled right now. I'm sure uh, they're keeping a close eye on that waiver wire right now. This roster can still get better as the season ends. Like this, this Mancini, moving Mancini and Lopez, I don't think makes this roster worse. I mean, it does initially, but their production, I think can be, fairly easily replaced as far as winning baseball games goes.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think the Orioles were probably a 77-81 to 81 win team with the roster they had the rest of the way, including Mancini and Lopez. I think they're still probably a 77-81 win team without them. And I think that you know, to get to the playoffs would have required a lot of things breaking the Orioles' way. Um, and a lot of things not going the way of teams ahead of them. Could it have happened? Sure, but it wasn't a guarantee, and I think that the Orioles looked ahead and thought, well, we're sitting pretty good for 2023 right now. We've got to have a chance to add to this system and to hopefully stockpile that if we do need to make a trade next year to reinforce the Major League roster, we have the system to do that. And this is the point of relievers. I kept thinking back to Zach Britton today. Cause I remember after the 2016, my thought on Zach, it's 2016 season. My thought on Zach Britton and trading him was what was the Russ? You've got two years of team control left. Even if he's not as dominant as he was last year, he's still really good. Um, you know, why Russ? the Orioles would be in much better shape right now if they had traded Zach Britton after the 2016 season. I, I have no doubt about that for as much as a what if as the Manny Machado trade is always looked at, in, been looked at in that context. Imagine if the Orioles had moved Zach Britton after the 2016 season, rather than waiting all the way until the 2018 trade deadline. And look, they got Dylan Tate out of that trade. That was not a bad trade. When you look at half a season of Zach Britton versus Dylan Tate, that's a win, but 2016 trade would have been a little bit better.
1: Yeah, I mean, that is a, that's a tough decision, but I am never against trading high on a reliever because that is the position that is most easily replaceable, most combustible. You can go from the best to the one of the, the worst in like a year or two. I mean, even when the Orioles are inevitably winning in a year or two or three, whatever it is, I am fine with trading high on relievers, especially as they're starting to get expensive in arbitration, potentially use that money wiser elsewhere in the rotation as a starting position player. save their money for the stars and, you know, do what the Brewers did. I like the Brewers move. You, you, you trade Josh Hader, even though he's one of the best relievers in baseball, he's got a year and a half left trade him, but while he's expensive and you can get a comparable reliever plus three prospects on top of it, or or two relievers and, and two prospects, whatever it ended up being. I just like that. Just keep extending your window of competition. Don't go all in on a 2022 season that is an outside shot. And there was a. this is a little bit off topic, but Dan Zimborski had a great article for Fangraphs where he analyzed the Trey Mancini trade, where getting rid of Mancini for the last two months of the season dropped our playoff odds from 5.5% to 4.8%. So, really not that much of a difference. And I'd be curious to see what the Lopez subtraction does to that as well. I can't imagine it gets under 4%. I mean, it can't be
2: all that much. He's a reliever when we have a bunch of good relievers. I mean, this team won last night and they're winning right now. Mateo just hit a three-run homer, apparently, and the Orioles are winning. So uh, this team can still win. Uh, And like I mentioned, this roster can still get better with the additions that you can bring up, hopefully. I mean, there's maybe we can talk about what this means for some of the prospects who could make this roster better. And if they're going to be able to come up anytime soon or not, but uh, I think everything's sitting pretty like, I don't tell me I'm drinking too much orange Kool-Aid. I don't care. Give me more. Like I, I like this position and you're setting yourself the way the roster is set up because maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but you're still this roster is still set up to have a huge, huge offseason with some major league pieces combining that with a lot of the, the prospects that we know those, these big time trades are going to be coming hopefully. But I think you set yourself up pretty beautifully for a number of big off season trades where the price to acquire a lot of that talent that people are clamoring for is going to come down significantly.
1: Yeah. And to prove that we're not just Elias stands, don't, don't torch us on Twitter just yet. Cause we're going to talk about a move that maybe we weren't, aren't the biggest fan of. I, I don't know. There was one acquisition the Orioles made also I was reminded how pissed off I was that Zach Pop was not protected prior to the uh, Rule Five draft that one year when he was traded to the Blue Jays, and we have to face him in division now. But uh...
0: yeah, I was reminded of that too, and um, that's that's the that's the one move that, in the moment, I haven't liked in the Michael Elias regime. But um, won't focus on that too much tonight. We'll jump now to Brett Phillips, the acquisition that the Orioles made. Phillips had been DFA'd, actually, after the Rays acquired Jose Siri as part of the three-team deal that sent Trey Mancini to the Astros on Monday. A lot of teams were rumored to be in the mix for Phillips. And then all of a sudden, uh, about an hour or so before the deadline, the Orioles swoop in and grab Phillips for cash considerations. Phillips was originally drafted by the Astros, but has become something of a cult hero for the Rays due to his heroics in the 2020 season. He's from the area, Seminole, Florida. Um, Seems like a very fun-loving, energetic guy that's good in the clubhouse. His career totals could probably be best described as great defense with really bad offense. Um, So the Orioles now adding what is essentially a reserve outfielder in return for cash considerations. Um, Nick, I'll just start with you because we still don't really know at this point why Phillips is brought in? What his role actually is? He's obviously not going to usurp Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins, or Anthony Santander out of the starting job. But what? Wh- why do you think the Orioles brought in Phillips?
2: I have no idea. I was I saw that the the trade was incoming, and then I was like, all right, I just refresh, refresh, refresh as I'm like trying to to make dinner and prepare for this show, and it's like, please do not trade. Uh, a current Orioles minor leaguer for this guy, I don't even care unless you're gonna trade like I was gonna throw out a name, but i, I won't say that name um there are some guys that maybe you could deal, but I think some of them you already cut uh, so you couldn't deal for them, but like what is he what purpose is he gonna serve like he can't hit the ball he strikes out forty he's striking out forty one percent of the time this season. I don't care about his personality because he doesn't exactly be able to contribute anything to the field. I'm glad it's just money because it's not my money that Michael Isaac is over there. Uh, the Orioles are spending. So spend it however you want. But I don't understand this at all. Like, sure, he could play great defense and sure he's gonna be fun in the clubhouse. But I don't know. I mean, the Orioles are buyers. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I kind of hate this move. I mean, I think my only way I could see liking this is if he is taking Rougnet Odor's place as the team chemistry guy and they're going to DFA Odor to give Vavra more playing time at second base and Phillips can be like pinch runner power hitting He's he can't hit but he does have a little bit of power can play great defense pinch runner be the cheerleader you know good vibes but i don't know why i mean Ryan McKenna's here is is he going to take his place i think i'd rather have McKenna <laughs> but uh yeah i don't know is this going to block Kyle Stowers? Apparently, uh, Kyle Stowers will never get his shot now. That's what I've heard on some uh, Orioles places. But, um, yeah, I, I'm puzzled, and I don't like it.
0: I don't. It doesn't really bother me because it's cast considerations at the end of the day. He's not going to cost you anything, and he's not blocking anyone. I mean, if Kyle Stowers is, you know, whenever the Orioles are going to bring up Kyle Stowers and when they're going to bring him up, Brett Phillips does not affect that timeline at all. I think what I'm more wondering is, you know, I kind of thought the Orioles liked Ryan McKenna to the extent that they wanted to continue to give him reps when possible to see if he could stick as a fourth outfielder. Yet Phillips feels like a left-handed hitting version of McKenna with far worse contact skills and a little bit better power. Uh, The only other thing that I could think as I was racking my brain on this today is, you know, does it spell trouble for a guy like Tyler Nevin who hasn't played that well and doesn't offer the type of versatility you're looking for and is a right-handed bat that doesn't hit for a ton of power in a ballpark that's now not really tailored to right-handed hitters? I can't quite figure out what this means. I don't hate the move, but I at the same time don't get it.
2: Yeah, that's my only thing. I I don't I mean there's nothing to hate about it because like you said, yeah, it's this is not gonna prevent Kyle Stowers from not getting called up. I think that's his own conversation of when are we gonna see Kyle Stowers because he's literally doing everything that he needs to do down there in Norfolk and he's still not getting the, that opportunity. But that's that's the only question that I want. And I don't know if anybody's come out and said anything. That was so close to game time. I don't imagine Elias or anybody was gonna come out and make comments yet, but I, I just wanna hear why why the move was made. Because right now, like you said, I have no clue. And I don't even really know like how to respond to this, if we even should have responded to this, to be honest.
1: <laughs> yeah. When I saw this trade, I was like, okay, Santander is clearly getting traded. And this is just yeah. like an extra outfield depth piece to have just in case of injury or something. But it never happened. Maybe that's what it was and a trade just fell through. I don't know. But
2: yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that, I got nothing else. That was that was the point that I was going to make too. Like I I had real bad vibes there. Those last like five minutes of the deadline, like something else big is going to happen. I'm waiting for like Nathan Ruiz or Zach Silver to come over there on Twitter and be like, Anthony Santander is now walking off the field. Um, I was waiting for something like that to happen, and it never did. So I mean, that's a good point as well. Was this the backup uh, in case there was a trade and that trade fell through at the last minute? That I don't think we'll ever find out, but. Yeah, we'll we'll see how they phrase this and how they uh, pitch it to pitch it to fans. And I like the comment from Simpkin,
1: another arm, because I think Brett Phillips is mostly known for position player pitching at this point. <laughs> that's like his best contribution. Maybe that's what they wanted. You know, in case they get blown out one
2: night, they can just throw him out there. I saw the warm-up routine video that he's got. He's got a good warm-up routine, and he hustles from the bullpen to the mound. So he's going to keep the game moving along. And if... Uh, when we're blowing teams out at the end of the year, Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg and Kyle Stowers put the Orioles up 15 to four, we're going to see Brett Phillips and the contributions he's going to make to this team. Well, it's also,
0: it's also getting ahead of the curve. I mean, you got to look ahead to the pace of play initiatives that are coming into effect next year and realize that when you have that position player in the bullpen, warming up for a blowout game, because Gunnar Henderson has hit three home runs, and Kyle Stowers is at two when the score is 15-4 to Orioles, Brett Phillips better get to the mound quickly. (laughs) He's He's going to do that.
2: that. Oh, man, we needed more trades to talk
1: about. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I thought for sure when this trade came out so early in the day that we were going to be a little busier maybe have one or two more, but it wasn't meant to be.
0: So let's talk about that. The deadline was – Overall, you know, you had a lot of reaction and a lot of noise about the Mancini Mancini and Lopez trades. Yet, I think it was probably a quieter deadline than most were expecting. We heard a lot of speculation about Anthony Santander possibly being moved. Dylan Tate possibly being moved. Jordan Wiles. Um, Even, you know, I think there was some speculation like what a team put together a huge package for Felix Bautista. In the end, all of those guys are still Orioles. Santander is probably the most surprising, but right now in a lineup where, you know, things seem to be hit or miss with some key guys, Santander is at least hitting for power. And with I believe 18 homers right now, maybe a 30 home run season going into the offseason does more for his trade value. I'm, you know, we'll never know, but I'm inclined to believe that the Orioles probably dangled Santander out there, didn't get the offer they wanted and decided to just fold it in. And revisit it in the off season.
2: Yeah, I don't really know. I was expecting Santander to be the other the big trade piece. Um, Lyles, I was iffy on. Yeah, you know, clearly they don't really care about you know clubhouse chemistry and keeping this team intact for to try to end the season strong. But you know, so trading Lyles, I think was definitely could have been an option. But um, I, I don't see who who right now do you think the Orioles would use to replace Lyles and those innings? And that could just really cause a mass ripple effect. I wonder how much traction there was on a potential Jordan Lyles trade, or if they're just going to let him finish out the year, that's the plan the whole time. And then just not pick up the option and and let him walk at the end of the year. Because I feel like if you remove him, it's weird to say that you got to keep Jordan Lyles, but if you remove him, what does that do to the bullpen? How does that affect the bullpen? Clearly, I don't know Bruce Zimmerman's kind of up and down in Norfolk. He has an okay start, and then he gets shelled the next night down there in Norfolk. Deal Hall's coming off back-to-back really bad starts in Norfolk. So I, I think there's a lot of flux. Uh, and so I don't know if how hard jo- Jordan Loud's is probably shopped. But Sontan, there's the only shocker to me at this point. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you
1: know, hopefully he finishes out the year strong, has a 30-homer season on his resume, and – has a increased walk rate, at least at the end of the year, it'll look like an increased walk rate, even though it was really just one month and you trade him in the off season. And you can also, I wonder if they're going to pick up Jordan Lyle's option and then trade him kind of like the Jose Iglesias deal. I think they, they picked up his option and then traded him like a week or two later. Uh, I could see that happening as well. I think Lyle's will be more attractive in the off season when he could be just like a, a, a guy teams can look at throwing out there as a fifth starter, sixth starter, just, eat some innings when needed, and not necessarily someone that's going to make a push for a postseason berth.
0: Yeah, I think the ripple effect that Nick pointed out is worth noting because I don't really know. Jordan Lyles is a fourth or a fifth starter on most contending teams, maybe even a sixth guy on a deep roster. And I don't know what that really is going to get you at the trade deadline. Um, you know, an organization that would be ahead of the curve on development could have gotten also both on a waiver claim a few months ago. And his numbers right now at the Orioles probably suggest six guy in a starting rotation for a playoff team. Um, And then the other thing too, with Lowell's is he has massive home road splits where he's significantly worse on the road this season, which is not something we're used to seeing from Orioles pitchers. That doesn't mean I think he would have been bad in all 29 other ballparks, Just that, you know, I think especially if you're an American League team, you might look at that and think, well, you know, if I bring Jordan Wiles to Minute Maid Park, am I getting the 2021 Jordan Wiles or something else? Because I'm clearly not going to get the best of Jordan Wiles in 2022.
2: Yeah. I mean, I see the comment there, Matt Harvey. Um, I'm sure he will make his way to the major leagues at some point this year for whatever reason. Uh, Yeah, it's... I, Mike Bowman, like sh- I want to see him get one more shot in the rotation, but it doesn't seem like the Orioles are going to be willing to give him that rotation spot. So yeah, you trade Jordan Lyles, like who's starting for this team at that point? Uh, we like Chris Valamont, but I don't think he's ready for, for that opportunity right now. And there's really just no one else in Norfolk that could fill in that, that role, I think.
0: Yeah. yeah. Can give you six or seven innings to start what's Lyles is capable of doing his best.
1: Yeah, and maybe, you know, there's not much money on the books. Maybe the Orioles just pick up his option and keep him as a fifth, sixth starter next year because, look, there's a lot of injuries this year. You never know what's going to happen.
0: That's true. You know, John Means probably won't be back until we're a month or two into the season. You don't know what the timelines exactly look like for Grayson Rodriguez and Tyler Wells right now. And going back to Nick's comment, as we're recording this show on Tuesday night, D.L. Hall just came out of the game against Nashville a little bit ago. Back-to-back rough starts for Hall. Now we've seen Hall hit a bump in the road and recover and dominate the rest of the way. So I'm not bringing this up to cast doubts about whether we see him in the majors this year. Because I think we're going to. But the point I'm going to make on this is that you can't count on D.L. Hall to be that guy that goes out and gives you five, six innings every start right away uh certainly not at the end of this year maybe not even at the beginning of next year it's going to have to be a little bit more of a gradual build up with him we know how much talent he has but there are some issues with efficiency there and you know jordan Lyles at his best is extremely efficient
1: yeah it's a good point and hey this is what happens deal hall pitched 30 odd innings last year and for the past two or three years like he's He's still got some learning to do, as electric as his stuff is. He's getting to AAA with the new ball. When he's on, we've seen how dominant he can be. That 3-4 start stretch there, once he figured out he was tipping pitches, was absolutely unreal. He's going through some struggles, but he's still a top three or four prospect in this system, the best system in the game. And it just might take a little bit more time than people want, but maybe the Orioles knew what they were doing by not promoting him when they did. I would have, but I don't have all the information that they do
2: yeah i'm since we're talking about hall he's up to seventy two and a third innings now, and he only had eighty in twenty nineteen and only ninety four in twenty eighteen so I wonder how many innings is his limit? what's the hard cap that they've got him at this year would be interesting to to find out and at this point yeah i'm at this point I'm kind of curious do do we i'm kind of questioning it maybe i need to get off these chats and stuff but like do we see hall in the majors this year or if he's at 72 innings already do you give him five six more starts in norfolk and then you shut it down i still if, think he makes his major league debut i think it might be as a bullpen guy
1: maybe like a multi, multi-inning reliever but i wouldn't be shocked at this point if he keeps struggling like if he bounces back again then i think he's up for sure but I don't know. Worst case, he's he's on the team early next year, and
2: I don't know. As, or would it be – I'm trying to think, like, would you want to see Hall up in the majors now, or would you say let's give Mike Bauman one last opportunity, let's give Bruce Zimmerman one last opportunity, let's roll through these veterans? Zach Louther came back pitched tonight. I don't know if we want to give him another opportunity, but there are some other guys who you can give one more opportunity to. Should we give it to those? I I would bet we see those guys
0: get their last opportunity before Hall comes up. I could see that route being taken. I feel like because Hall's on the 40 man roster, we're going to see him at some point. It's just a question now what role do you you know, because I thought even just three weeks ago, I thought he's gonna be up as a starter over the last few months of the year. But now that your innings total is already at seventy two, um I would have and he's you know not exactly working deep in the games at norfolk right now i would have to think that maybe that two or three inning relief role um or sort of an opener type situation is more what we're going to see from him this year than a typical starter
2: yeah it's just weird it's weird to think about we're talking about like when is deal hall going to be shut down and these innings limits and it's like the minor league season is over and like starts winding down especially in the low levels and like Six weeks. Uh, we, we're nearing the, the end here as we're still, I feel like I'm still waiting for like using Diaz and some guys to break out. And we're like, the season's <laughs> almost over guys. We got. <laughs> it's a very good point.
0: <laughs> well, we're going to talk about DL Hall and a lot of the other Orioles top prospects next week. When we have our updated top 50 prospect list, which will be posted on Baltimore sports and This will be the first major update we've done to the list over at BSL since the early early part of this year january or february back before the season started so not only do we have graduations with players like adley Rutzman and kyle bradis changing the list but we also have the influx of prospects from the 2022 draft class the 2022 trade deadline and some players whose stocks may have risen or fallen since the preseason so be sure to check that out next monday night when the three of us come on the air We'll run through the whole list, one through 50, and give our thoughts. That's always a good time. And before I wrap up, uh, Bob, Nick, we spent a lot of time in the last 48 hours unconsecutively talking about trades and the Orioles. Any final thoughts before we take this six-day break?
1: I'm glad the trade deadline has passed. I'm happy with how it transpired, even though – I feel like nobody else is and um, yeah I'm just excited to see a couple of promotions up to the big leagues from AAA and see if the Orioles can take a shot at the playoffs or at least make it competitive close to 500 record that'd be amazing and I'm excited for the offseason. F this
2: all gets an F. F- everything minus. everything gets an F minus. trade deadline I was a disaster. I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine with this. I. It sucks. It's emotional. I'm. You know. i still grieve It was weird seeing Trey Mancini in that Astros uniform. Uh, I'm not yeah, gonna lie. Yeah. But uh, I wish him all the best. I wish Jorge Lopez all the best. I think this team is still set up very nice. This team is still winning ball games. It's still. It's going to be fun again. I'm just now anxious for everybody to. I hope everybody takes a couple of days and just uh, relaxes and unwinds because things are still looking up in Birdland.
0: Exactly. And uh, we'll just end this show right there. Check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com for all the latest covers on the Orioles, Ravens, college sports, and more. And while you're there, be sure to hop on the message board and join and discuss them with fellow readers as well as contributors to the site. And follow us on Twitter at BSL on the Verge, where we will post highlights throughout the week, including some tonight. Joey Ortiz hitting his 10th home run for the Bowie Bay Sox and staying hot right now. He will be on our top 50 list, but you're going to have to tune in next week to find out where he falls. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spen. you've been listening to on The Verge.